I think you can boil it down. And I think this is really kind of key. And I will stick my neck out because I think it needs to be said. I think that the four families that have done more to dismantle Western civilization than any humans in history are the Koch brothers, the Murdochs, the Trumps, and the Kardashians. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to one of our more popular guests on the Mind Valley podcast. Today, we're going to be bringing you Jamie Wheel. Now, Jamie has been on the podcast before, and if you enjoyed this episode, I want you to get on Spotify, search for Jamie Wheel Mind Valley, and listen to the previous episode because the previous episode was so transformative. And I know today's episode is going to be equally transformative in how you view the world, how you view religion, how you view God, how you view spirituality. So, first, let me tell you about our guest today, my dear friend, Jamie Wheel. He's the author of the global bestseller and Pulitzer Prize nominated book, Stealing Fire How Silicon Valley. Navy SEALs, and Maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. He's the founder of the Flow Genome Project, an international organization dedicated to the research and training of ultimate human performance. He founded it in 2011, and he's gone on to become one of the leading voice of evidence-based peak performance in the work, counting award-winning academics, legendary athletes, special ops commanders, Fortune 500 business leaders. Now, one of the things I love about Jamie is that he is also an adventurer. In his career in wilderness guiding, he's gone to rescue people from the Atlantic Ocean during a hurricane, taking the youngest group of Americans ever to Camp 3 on the north face of Mount Everest. Holy crap. And taking CEOs into the Grand Canyon for a week of war games. So Jamie is also one of the guests I've had on the podcast whom I get the comment, God, isn't his voice so sexy? So if you're into sexy voices, stay tuned because he is going to blow your mind and entice your senses. Hi, Jamie. Welcome. Oh, great to be here, Vision. Thank you. So, Jamie, you're actually here on a special occasion. Your new book, so your last book was Pulitzer Prize nominated. Your new book is out, Recapture the Rapture, Rethinking God, Sex, and Death in a world that's lost its mind. It's available now on Amazon. And we're recording this in front of a live audience and members here who have read the book are saying that it is beautiful. So firstly, for those of you who are listening at home, if you want to check out Jamie's website where you can learn about Recapture the Rapture, it's easy to remember. It is simply recapturetherapture.com, recapturetherapture.com. Don't order the book on Amazon. Order it from Jamie's website. Just want to give you that heads up. Because you get a free homegrown humans toolkit when you order it from the website. Okay, over 40 pages, 12 playground rules, three-page glossary. So just want to put it out there. Don't rush to Amazon. Go to recapturetherapture.com and order it there. Now, Jamie, firstly, welcome back to the Mind Valley Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Vishen. Jamie, there's so many things we could talk about. First, tell us about this book. What made you write this new book? Well, I mean, I think the simplest was a growing sense that we were getting into an increasingly tight spot, just collectively as humans on this earth, mm -hmm. and that we were experiencing a meaning crisis, and that more and more people than ever were feeling unmoored and kind of unstuck in time and space and like, what's going on? And 
who can we trust and who's leading and how do we do this? I've for a long, long time had been a strong advocate of decentralized grassroots pro-social movement. How do we everywhere around the world figure things out for ourselves, by ourselves to help raise the overall state of things? So the thought was, well, hey, there's exponential everything going on. There's exponential currency with blockchain. There's exponential biology with CRISPR. There's exponential education with Khan Academy and online learning. All the things are going exponential, but exponential meaning. And actually was at a singularity conference in South Africa. I was giving a presentation. There were these amazing world-class minds. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're missing how to make sense of all this. But if we just have one more clever person or one more mystic coming down a mountain with stone tablets to say, this is the deal, but it feels like we've outgrown that and our world's just too complex and too different. And we want to honor the difference while also figuring out how to get hard things done together. So creating an open source operating system for transformational consciousness and culture felt like the next big, fun, essential project. And that's kind of what this book is. So, you know, you talk about rapture. First, let's define rapture. Yeah, well, it's actually, I mean, in chapter two, it starts with a lexicon for the eschaton. And the eschaton just means the end of days. And when we use terms about, oh, what big time, bad, scary thing or wonderful thing is happening, we often talk about, Armageddon, we talk about raptures, we talk about apocalypses, right? And we almost kind of just use them interchangeably as a placeholder for the thing that's downstream from us. But in reality, they're actually very unique and distinct. And we need to understand those distinctions and then do different things for each of them. Because apocalypse doesn't actually mean a terrible thing. It actually just means the unveiling. In ancient Greek, it's apocalypsis. So as we're experiencing, and whether this is with church scandals or political crises or getting clearer on ecological fragilities or any of these things. There's a lot that's being revealed. There's a lot that's being unveiled right now. And not all of it is comfortable or comforting, but we kind of need to know what's actually going on. And Armageddon actually comes from, there's this hill outside the Israeli town of Haifa and it's Ha Megiddo. And it's actually supposed to be the place of the final and ultimate war to end all wars. And you're like, okay, so we're in culture wars. There's more tribalism and factionalism around the world for a while. I wouldn't say forever, but for sure for a while. And we want to figure out how to soothe and mend these culture wars because we don't want to get to Armageddon. After that, it's game over. And then the final is the rapture. And the rapture you know, has two definitions. One is just regular, open up the dictionary, rapture. It means bliss. It means contentment. It means inspiration. And at a time when we're experiencing this meaning crisis and there's diseases of despair, like anxiety and depression and addiction and suicide are higher than ever, we really need to recapture what makes us feel whole, what makes us feel most alive, courageous, creative, connected. And then there's the capital R, rapture right? Which is sort of the story of how this all goes down. And that idea of like, wait a second, there's that old William Butler Yeats poem, The Second Coming, that many folks are familiar mm -hmm. with. In fact, in 2016, it had the most Google hits of any poem, <laughs> you know, because we're like, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, what the hell's going on? You know, like, I think I remember this from high school. And he's got a line later on in that poem where he says, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are filled with a passionate intensity. And if we look around the world, we kind of see that. We're like, holy smokes, man. There's this like 99% of humanity just are in the live and let live, 
I just want a chance to keep on keeping on. I want my kids to have a slightly better life than I do. You know, we want peace, stability, and half a percent on either extreme are hijacking the thread of our collective conversation. So how do we hasten the apocalypse? We want the unveiling. We want to see more about what's actually here. How do we force postpone Armageddon? Because we do not actually want the war to end all wars. And how do we recapture our lowercase rapture? And so we can stand tall and actually find our voices and really contribute to the collective conversation of where does humanity go from here? Wow. I love how you explained that. So in your book, you talk about the collapse of meaning Mm 1.0 and the rise of meaning 2.0. Let's talk about that. Meaning 1.0 versus meaning 2.0. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. That distinction only emerged as I was halfway into writing the book. I'm like, oh, wait, I think there's another Mm -hmm. layer here. Because I was just thinking of like the collapse in meaning. Everybody's rudderless right now. But when I really looked at it a little bit more deeply, it felt like, hey, for almost all of human history, meaning. Like, what do I make of myself, my role in the world? Why are we here? Where do we go when we die? All of it was usually held by organized wisdom traditions, traditional religion. That's meaning 1.0. And it's not until literally like the last 50 years and then really even the last decade that people aren't simply looking to the organized religion of their faith and family and culture for all the answers. And the Pew Research Foundation, you know, four years ago found that the N-O-N-E's, the none of the aboves, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I would imagine a large majority of your Mind Valley community, sort of seekers and searchers. That's now the largest and fastest growing denomination in all of America. So you're like, wow, that is a sea change from how humans have always done this. And then at the same time, we've experienced the, the collapsing and the sagging and the church scandals and all the things that have happened that have led people to distance themselves a bit from those as the go-to incontrovertible sources of truth. But at the same time, we had this really neat modern experiment. You know, we can go back to the French Enlightenment, liberty, equality, and fraternity. All men and women are created equal regardless of race, color, or creed, civil rights, civil liberties, protections, democracy, markets, all those things. And because they had come out of the wars of religion, you know, Protestant, Catholic, and all the things in Europe, and they're like, whoa, you know, that's messy business. And we actually, maybe we should separate church and state, and maybe we shouldn't have castes and hierarchies, and maybe we should offer the promise of everybody having a fair crack at the good life. So meaning 1.0 offered salvation at the price of inclusion. If you believed you were saved, if you didn't, you weren't. So it was kind of harsh, but fair. You had to be a member of the elect in order to have access to the good life. And the modern liberal experiment flipped it. And they said, we're going to offer inclusion, regardless of race, color, or creed, at the cost of salvation. No one's going to tell you what it all means. So that's where you have Nietzsche saying God is dead. And I think arguably, and Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician, he famously said, we've all got a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And Jonathan Haidt, the NYU philosopher and ethicist, right? He has said, he's like, we've all got that God-shaped hole. If we don't fill it with something, that's where the diseases of despair come in. So we ended up as meaning got hollowed out and collapsed. And we had 1.0 traditional religion on one side and 2.0 modern liberalism on the other. We would have thought that everyone would kind of like stand on their own two feet. We would have done the Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, rational atheist kind of thing, but we didn't. We got sucked to fundamentalism on one side, 
It's not just a deepening of traditional religious mm-hmm. beliefs, although that has happened, but it's also fundamentalism of scientism, fundamentalism of conspiracy theories, fundamentalism of any organizing explanation of why things are the way they are that I buy into lock, stock and barrel with no perspective or critique. So that was one big move. And the other- One of the things I've realized after conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality, to health and wellness, to relationship, is that life is enormous. And there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way, in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You were just never thought how to have it all, how to do things differently, how to master the human experience from a mind, body, and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step into your greatness. There was to nihilism. And I always think of Fight Club. I think of Tyler Dudden. He's like, we're the middle children of history, man. And our great revolution is a spiritual revolution. We were raised to believe we were going to be presidents and rock stars and titans, and we're not. And we're slowly realizing that fact. And we're pissed, you know? So like, hashtag burn it all down becomes a real sentiment these days. So the question is, is can we do meaning 3.0? Can we actually offer the best of both inclusive salvation? And is that a thing that we can architect in an open source way, not tops down, but bottoms up, so that everybody can conduct their own experiments, unique to their communities, unique to their cultures, unique to their specific needs, goals, and desires? And then can we let a thousand fires burn? Wow. So, Jamie, by the way, we have 481 people live with us, and the comments are blowing up. Lynn said, wow, mind-blowing. Marcus said, did he really just quote Fight Club there? Awesome. Daniel Lamy is saying, oh my God, I saw you in the big thing. That was seven minutes of total wisdom. Go watch it, friends. Really, really cool. People are loving this. So let's get to some controversial questions. One of the things you said that I ask you is this, what psychological traits do neo-Nazis and social justice warriors have in common? And why should this scare you regardless of your politics? Mm. And back to that Yates quote, the best lack all conviction while the worst are filled with a passionate intensity. Last year, there was a university in Australia that actually was fascinated about what was happening in the culture wars. And so they did a study of American citizens with divergent political beliefs. So they found three different categories of folks. They found Aryan white nationalists, so like hardcore far right folks. They found social justice activists and quite far left folks. And then they found some sort of centrist progressives. And that's the kind of sense of, I have my own values, but I also extend the right for everybody else to have their own values, even if they're different than mine. 
kind of thing. And they scored them on four qualities. How authoritarian were they? And then what is typically known mm-hmm. as the dark triad of personality traits, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and sociopathy. So narcissism, it's all about me. Machiavellianism, mm-hmm. I'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. And sociopathy, I really just don't care that much about my moral or ethical commitments to others. So not mm-hmm. generally that nice people. And the fascinating thing was that the alt-right neo-Nazis, for sure, scored off the charts on all those things. But what was really interesting is so did far left radical social justice activists. And the folks in the middle who said effectively a live and let live orientation didn't score on any of them. Wow. Even far left social justice warriors? Yeah. If you think back to history, think back to that French revolution, right? Liberty, equality, and brotherhood, pretty groovy things. And it started out as a really nice move. And then Robespierre Maxi, right, snookers in. He outflanks everybody further and further to the left and then says, here's the reign of terror. If you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs and proceeds to decapitate tens of thousands of people. So the capacity, even for movements that have really pro-social values, to get hijacked by bad actors, exploiting and manipulating our tribal psychology wow. is really, really there. It's just critical because here's the other crazy thing. If you sat those two folks down into a room together, they would be like, we are sworn enemies. They are literally as opposed as you could get. But really, they're actually on the same team because they are united in their desire to play win-lose tribal finite games. And that enlightenment experiment of everybody's entitled to a shot at the good life is what Mm -hmm. James Koss called the infinite game. The goal of the infinite game isn't to win or to lose. It's to continue playing the game for as long as possible and to invite as many people to play the game as possible versus finite tribalism. So you're like, wait a second, holy moly. Not only is it interesting, you guys both share some less than pro-social orientations, but you're actually on the same goddamn team. You're fighting to burn this down. This is like Darth Vader telling Luke, strike me down, Luke. If you strike me down in anger, I win anyway. In the hashtag burn it all down camps, which we are seeing on both sides of the political spectrum versus the team human camp, you realize, wow, you guys are actually fighting for the same thing. And that's the thing that, you know, if we care about humanity, if we care about the long-term game for all of us, we should be really aware of it because it's not, we almost sometimes think like, may the best meme win. This is the marketplace of ideas. Citizens will vote and we'll come to the conclusion. It's asymmetrical meme warfare because- The infinite game of everyone, everywhere, everyone is entitled to shared rights and dignity. We never really have ever tried that before. After genetics and oxytocin bonding us to our children, to our lovers, and to our tribe, everything else is elective and fragile. And we regress under stress. And tribalism is destiny. But humanism is optional. I love that quote. It's a tender, delicate system that we're in. Yeah. And there's so much frustration and rage and disappointment that the neoliberal experiment of, you know, fast card, mm-hmm. buy your stuff and get your house and everything will be awesome. So many people around the world are feeling like we were sold a bill of goods. I mean, Joseph Stieglitz, right? The Nobel Prize winning economist, head of the WHO, World Bank has been like 40 years and the results are in folks. Trickle down did not work. And the winnings have been asymmetrically accumulated at the top. This is a raw deal. So people are really 
truly understandably pissed off and frustrated by that, by late stage capitalism's hollow promises. But there was this tender, fragile seed of the infinite game that came out in that enlightenment experiment. And if we just burn it all down, we crush that too. And so it's, can we acknowledge the frustrations and disappointments? Can we say we absolutely have to do way better? on living up to this promise, but the seed is essential. So I'm asking this, Jamie, where are you in the world right now? Austin, Texas. You're living in the United States. This has been the longest since I've entered the United States because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been more than a year since I've set foot in the USA. I opened up the newspapers today. And again, I'm simply asking this out of curiosity. I'm not siding with any one side, and I don't expect you to either. But when I opened up news today on Apple News, I read something that kind of puzzled me. Firstly, I read that 7% of Republicans believe the election was stolen, Mm -hmm. which puzzled me because it doesn't seem to be aligned with the facts. But I also read that 25% of Americans are unsure if the vaccine is actually worse than COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, this seems to be completely contrary to facts, which are actual scientific facts. Where is this come from and what's going on here (laughs) in these alternate realities? And also just to be clear, I'm bicultural, tricultural. So South African mother and English father, and then we moved to the US. I was always Mm -hmm. in, but not of this culture. So I've always been kind of like a stranger in a strange land. Like what are these weird customs of these folks in North America? (laughs) I think you can boil it down. And I think this is really kind of key And I will stick my neck out because I think it needs to be said. I think that the four families that have done more to dismantle Western civilization than any humans in history are the Koch brothers, the Murdochs, the Trumps, and the Kardashians. For 30 years, the Koch brothers, if folks aren't familiar Uh with them, funded pseudo astroturf, pretend grassroots movements to basically gut American democracy. They also are the ones that stood up the Tea Party and Charles Koch lately, like right after the January 6th riots, said, whoops, this has gone too far. They built Frankenstein's monster. They set them loose on civil democracy. I mean, they undermined public transportation. They undermined all sorts of incredibly cynical. They hid underneath the banner of libertarian free markets, but it was all directly so that their portfolio of companies can make more money. And that was abysmal. And that set all the conditions that led to 2016 and what we've experienced. The Murdochs, as a media empire, the owners of Fox News and now Wall Street Journal and all the others, there was an extensive study a couple of years ago that said that in Australia, the UK, and the US, every time they entered a media market, the populace swung up 17 points plus to more extreme right and became the least factually informed of any voting bloc in that country. So they became propagandized and radicalized. You then have the Trumps, and it's not Trump derangement syndrome, it's not fake news. It's not any of the things. The fellow is, I believe, by all accounts, by many Yale psychiatrists and lots of other folks, a malignant narcissist. And that got connected to the echo chamber of what used to be an independent fourth estate with the Fox News media empire. So even if you're like, wait a second, did he just say that? Can he actually say that? Can he actually say the post office are the bad guys? Can he actually say out loud, we don't want eligible citizens Mm -hmm. to be able to vote? Can we actually say that Jeffrey Epstein, wait, what? The royal family and two presidents, and now he's dead. And that tearing in our minds gave rise to Save the Children, 
and QAnon. The you can grab them by the pussies gave rise to Me Too. The unleashing of shock troops, militarized response to nonviolent demonstrators, which just right out of the gates, we were back to like 1960, 1963, Selma, Montgomery, Bull Connor, Dogs and Billy Clubs mm -hmm. in the racist South. We're like, how did we get here? That gave rise to Black Lives Matter. All of the things we've been struggling and wrestling with for the last four or five years have all been psychic attempts to reconcile reality that has just been torn in pieces around us and the norms. And this is, I think, also why there's been such an increasing stridency in people's politics, ideologies, like, are you with us or are you against us? And if you try and say, I've still got questions, you get just shot in the middle. You're like, no man's land is no place to be because we've had this collapse in meaning and a shared sense of civic values. So now I don't know if you actually agree that as a gay person, I actually have rights. I can't trust that anymore. I can't trust that if I'm a person of color, you actually still believe I can be a decent person and deserve a spot on the line. You might be a neo-Nazi. You might be someone who is my actual enemy. So we have to constantly test our shibboleths, test our passwords. Can you say person of color? Can you say colored person? Can you say BIPOC? You know the latest letter at the end of LGBTQ, because if you've got it wrong or you're using one that's six months out of date, right. you might be an enemy. You could be a spy. And so we're getting this increasing hypervigilance because we've broken our social contracts. And then the final one is obviously the Kardashian family. If you think Paris Hilton a decade ago was famous for being famous. She was the heiress to one of the largest brands on the planet. She was famous for being famous. She didn't do anything to deserve it. And then her assistant released a grainy sex tape and scored a deal to do a wacky little reality show on TV and blew that up beyond all proportion, marries Kanye, but then it's Kylie and Kendall where you see the whole thing come full circle because they're second generation famous for being famous and monetized billionaires. And now a recent poll showed that 38% of Gen Y American youth would rather be a YouTube star than only six to 7% wanting to be doctors or lawyers. So that's the four families. And I hope that just politely blew your mind. Those four families, I think truly have done more to dismantle our social contracts than any collection of humans at the point of a sword or conquest that we've ever seen. That was beautiful, intriguing. Whether you agree or disagree with Jamie, and I'm saying this to everyone listening to the podcast, whether you agree or disagree with Jamie, check out the book. Either way, it is going to blow your mind. Now, we're not even done yet. Jamie, a while ago, you were talking about Star Wars. Now, in your book, you mentioned this. Star Wars and The Matrix are getting intertwingled with ISIS and Christian fundamentalists. What does this mean for our shared myths? The funniest thing or the weirdest thing, this happened a few years ago. I was Googling Maitreya, which is M-A-I-T-R-E-Y-A, -E and it's the Buddhist world teacher. One day the Buddhist world mm -hmm. teacher is going to come and then all good things will happen. And it came up and it popped up. There was some sincere Buddhist takes on it, but really the top ranks were like, oh, actually... The Matria is actually the Antichrist, and oh, by the way, it's Obama. And you're like, whoa, that is some wacky-ass mimetic mingling. You've got people looking at the same event or the same person, pointing at it, agreeing that it is what you say it is, and then having completely different interpretations about what it means and what to do next. 
So instead of a singularity, like we're all marching to a happy end point in time, it feels mm -hmm. much more to me that we're sort of experiencing the intertwingularity. Everything is intertwining as we get sucked down the drain pipe of time and space. Everybody's mythologies, everybody's narratives are smashing and crashing and blending into each other. I think the technical term is shit or go blind territory. We literally don't know what we're looking at. And if you just take something as simple as Star Wars and the Matrix, these are two of our most recent, most compelling universal myths. And while anybody totally respect people having spiritual and religious significance about ancient scriptures from your belief system, I think it's also important to realize the reality is, is that these have all been the products of people's minds and imaginations into words, into song, into verse, into art. And there's actually less difference of what's in papyrus or scrolls than what's on celluloid or even graphic novels. These are all human productions, at the very least mediated by us. So with Star Wars, it used to be like, A, everybody wants to be Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and the Rebel Alliance fighting the evil empire. And, you know, Ronald Reagan called Russia the evil empire famously. He built the Star Wars missile defense program. It was very much everybody was on that same team. And then the recent ones with Ray came out and here you had a woman, you had a black stormtrooper, you had a Hispanic Han Solo stand in, you had a Korean potentially LGBTQ side actress and Rotten Tomatoes fractured. And it was the biggest delta between critics reviews, which were up in the high 80s to low 90s and fan reviews, which are like sub 50. It was the biggest split. And then you had Steve Bannon saying, darkness is good. Satan is good. Dick Cheney is good. Darth Vader is good. And you're like, whoa, okay, that's interesting. And then when they were gearing up the Republican social media platforms for the 2020 elections, they're like, yeah, we're building a Death Star. And you're like, holy moly, all the signs and signifiers of which side are we on have been completely flipped and inverted. And a story that used to unite us is now actually dividing us. Rebel Alliance is PC thought police. How did that happen <laughs> that are oppressing us? You're like, wow, that's fascinating. And the same with Red Pill and Blue Pill in the Matrix, where you know it used to be that taking the Red Pill meant anything from psychedelics to cybersecurity to men's work. Have you been really disillusioned about the way things really work? And we're going to offer you or sell you or promise you that all will be revealed. And are you a Red Piller? Of course I am. Apple's Think Different campaign. And then 2016, you had a 4chan and Reddit message board about red pilling actually meaning I'm a middle-aged white male, typically maybe sort of 20s to 50s, and I'm being red pilled to realize that in fact, the world is stacked against me. There's a multicultural totalitarian thought police. Women are repressing us as men, et cetera. So red pilling took on this very, very specific, not particularly inclusive model even Kanye ends up retweeting it. So now being red-pilled means something completely different than what it did for 20 years in pop culture. So just to kind of note that, and I think on the one hand, it's just gobsmacking. You're like, what on earth right. is happening to us? And on the other hand, it's structurally fascinating because these kinds of stories share a lot of similarities with much more ancient, deep rapture stories like Christian Zionism and even extremes of wow. ISIS Islam. I've never thought about it that way. This is intriguing. So I want to come to one of our final questions. And again, if you're enjoying this conversation, 
Go to recapturetherapture.com. Check out the book, recapturetherapture.com. The book just dropped. It's all over Amazon. People are freaking loving it. Now, there are so many interesting things we're going to talk about, Jamie. There's a couple more that's fascinating me. Top 10 suggestions to replace the 10 commandments. What, what would your suggestions be? Hmm. We may not have time to go through them all, but the fundamental thing was it really feels like in this kind of personal growth realm these days, and everybody's trying to build spaceships in their driveway. People have breakthrough experiences. They have a possum right. retreat. They go to a transformational festival and they're like, oh my gosh, amazing. So nobody kind of wants to be told what to do. The fancy term is antinomian. You're not the mm -hmm. boss of me. I've just seen right. the light. We've kind of potentially outgrown things like the Ten Commandments, which was very binary, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we're just building spaceships in our driveway. So we need some guidelines, right? Otherwise, we're just going to put this in the ditch. So the thought here was just playfully 10 suggestions. You can take them or leave them, but if you take them, they might help. The first one is hashtag do the obvious. There is so much time, effort, and money spent on chasing personal improvement these days. And there's an awful mm -hmm. lot of companies out there, personalities out there that have something to sell. It could be a supplement. It could be a headset. It could be whatever it's going to be. It is a promise right. that this and only this, if you spend this hundreds or thousands of dollars or whatever it is, your life will be transformed forever. The do the obvious is sleep more, move often, get outside, Eat real food, mostly plants, not too much. Michael Pollan 101, make love, grieve fully, be grateful. And these are the kinds of things. It's not wildly complicated. And we've kind of known how to do this all along. We just might've forgotten a few things as things got super hectic. Do the right. obvious, it de-escalates our consumptive searching for magic bullets and quick fixes. And it also gives us this kind of responsibility, which is what am I going to do after I stop chasing all the magic bullets? Now, instead of trying to get my head above the clouds to a place where I get to live my hashtag best life and nothing is hard and I have maximum abundance and I love every morning and it's all perfect. Instead of trying to get our heads above the clouds, can we look back behind us and try and help other people get their heads just above the water? Because there's so many folks in the world, there's so many folks in our lives and our communities that need love, support, help, encouragement. I love what you're saying. Guys, I'm so excited to get started with this book. Hey, I just want to be really honest here to all of you who are listening to this in the podcast. I haven't started in the book yet because it just dropped. But I know Jamie, Stealing Fire was so impactful to me. Jamie co-authored that with Stephen Kotler, who's one of our Mind Valley teachers, was so impactful to me that I launched a festival, a fest. I have an annual festival and we dedicate it an entire event for Stealing Fire. And we brought in a lot of people who were mentioned in that book, from Wim Hof to Jason Silva. So Jamie's books have had a profound impact in my life. And I know that this is going to be equally impactful. Again, it's recapturetherapture.com. Go check it out and leave a review on Amazon. Okay, Jamie's really going to appreciate that. Now, Jamie, final question. And we have about four minutes left. Three dead giveaways you can use to spot a leader using cult programming to build fans and earn a fortune from Charlie Manson to NXIVM to Tony Robbins and Info Marketers. Ah, yes, yes. So this is our culty cult checklist, which is in right. If you are either a leader or a follower, for sure, just check this one out and make sure that you and your community aren't sliding into these slippery slopes. So the first one is the grabbing the one ring of power. 
the notion that when a person really steps up to something exceptional, they become charismatic, they become luminous. You can feel different in their presence. This is any great mm -hmm. entertainer, any great orator or speaker, but also definitely in the personal growth space too. And just check to see, do they claim the one ring of power? Do they think that they are strong enough to hold it? Easy tells they've got a mythologized origin story. When they were young, they had these early signs of prodigious talent, or they had a Saul Paul road to Damascus conversion. Like I was a crack dealer and this and that, and then I had thrown in jail, or I had a car accident and I woke up in my hospital bed, like some epiphany that now uniquely qualifies me to bring you the good news. That's a definite tell. The next is formulating a sense of an in-group and an out-group. We are the saved, the awake, the elect, the special, and they, the dirty, unwashed masses, are either not privy to what we're doing or should be the recipients of our wisdom and light. And then the final is weaponizing peak experiences and deep healing. So ecstasis and catharsis, tightly controlling access to how you get your rocks off, how you get to high states and modulating that and setting the frames and stories and not allowing other people's insights to come in and or deconstructing people into weepy puddles of goo and then upselling. If anybody ever tries to upsell you in a peak state or a vulnerable state, I would just say mm. game over. Right. That's why you mentioned Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins and Infomarketers, because they do these big events and then they sell at the end of the event. Absolutely. And the music pumps and there's urgency right. and even the old Carney trick where they even have plants in the audience getting up early and moving to the back. Like, oh my gosh, I got to get there too. So those are the three things. If you see somebody claiming the ring, Boromir is the warrior who tries to pick up the ring from Frodo because he's like, I could do so much with this. And they're like, don't do it. Gandalf's right. a wise wizard. And he's like, don't touch the thing. We can hold it in a fellowship. We can hold the light of human potential together. But if you ever see somebody grabbing it, if you ever see the us-them dynamic, if it lifts us up and away from our shared humanity, you almost know it's half-baked. If it brings us down and among, then it feels like it's probably a mature perspective. Mm -hmm. The weaponizing or the upselling, and it's not just upselling, it can also be you have to confess your sins, you have to re-pledge allegiance. Whatever we want out of you, we're going to extract wow. it when your defenses are down or your vibe is high. Those are three of the things just to kind of bring a little it. more awareness to how we look at the spiritual marketplace. I love it, Jimmy. These are such fascinating topics and there's so much more to cover. Your book also talks about how one Stanford neuroscientist discovered we are hardwired to value courage even more than sex. You talk about a transformation idea that MLK Jr. plagiarized twice over for his I Have a Dream speech and how it's still sending shockwaves around the world. You talk about how the Catholic Church embedded transinducing alpha waves into one of the most famous prayers. You talk about why Terence McKenna's stoned ape theory is wrong and why the stoned ape's sexier cousin, the horned ape, is really what made humans so smart. I can't wait to learn about this stuff. So if you find these interesting, if you enjoyed what we've covered so far, check out Recapture the rapture. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for joining us on the Mind Valley podcast. Jamie, thank you so much. Blast to be here, man. Thanks, everybody. Take care, guys. Bye. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley podcast.
If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.